Hello, I'm Christian Schiller. Welcome to my podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good whatever it is, wherever you are. Welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks. This is Christian Schiller in my mostly weekly roundup of geeky tidbits and news that took my eye from the past week or so. If you like what you hear, you can find more about me at christianchiller.com, including show notes and transcripts to find all those juicy links and things I may mention. And if you especially like what you hear, then please hop on over to christianchiller.com slash support to find ways you can support the show. Patreon and Discord servers coming soon. Just when I get time to actually <laughs> connect them all up with each other. It takes a little bit of time to do it properly. Uh, I'd rather do it properly than half-assed. So let's get on with some of what took my interest in the past week. First article that took my I, my interest this week is from The Guardian, that classic of British, though now more global, uh, media outlets from Sophie Elmhurst, about the ill-fated voyage of the uh, Satoshi, a cruise ship. Now, those of you who are familiar with cryptocurrency will recognize that name as the inventor or inventors of Bitcoin. It's not strictly directly related to Satoshi. It's actually more directly related to an entire movement of people who tend to be a little bit in the libertarian cryptocurrency camp, for sure, but not exclusively. And I have to find the term here because it's a kind of an interesting term. They went through a bunch of different terms, actually. Sivangelist. Sivangelist. <laughs> oh, I got it. It's even hard to pronounce. Sivangelization. C plus civilization. You get it. I can't pronounce it, but you get it. Before finally settling on seasteading, which... Actually, I think I like least, but yeah, anyway. And a lot of the people behind this were very rich, mostly people who liked and channeled people like Peter Thiel and Tony Robbins, these kind of people who seem to make a lot of money from spitting out startups, and you're never entirely sure how they really do it, but they do it nonetheless, and whether you like that or not is, I suppose, why you're motivated to do things and get out of bed in the morning. But at a certain point, they decided that doing things in the sea where no laws could touch you would be an interesting proposition. And there's a couple of uh, artist renders in this article around these kind of like pods that um, people thought about moving into. And there's a wonderful quote I will find for you in, in one of these. And, and I think this sums up sometimes the attitude that certain people have versus other people. Here's the quote. Seeing the pod's nascent form, I felt a boring pragmatic urge to ask, what happened if once afloat, you needed to buy a pint of milk? My question seemed to miss the point, too wedded to old-fashioned notions of locality and human connection. The pods had been designed to have a hatch in the roof. He was talking to some drone creators and imagined people flying to their pods independently, landing on the roof and entering through the hatch. Perhaps that's how you get the milk. <laughs> and then this escalates into some of the people behind this movement buying this cruise ship. Actually, late last year, 2020, 
at a time when a lot of people needed some isolation from each other. An aging cruise ship, which sounded familiar to me, and I can't quite remember why. It had some moments of infamy throughout the years, but um, yep. They bought it for a relatively bargain price and then instantly realized that just because you may like to live outside of rules, that is not, sadly, (laughs) how the world works. And that shipping especially requires a lot of paperwork and a lot of money to pretty much go nowhere Uh, And actually going nowhere is surprisingly expensive with boats. I have toyed with the idea of buying like a small boat myself. And it's funny because they're actually affordable, like no more expensive than a car sometimes, but maintaining them is far more expensive. Um, And of course, (laughs) they can only really be moved around on certain places because it's a boat and boats are designed to go on water. Um, Yeah. And he had to, they had to employ a crew. They had to get all this paperwork. And you have to dry dock boats. Like there's all these kind of routines boats have to go through. And then it, <laughs> they started trying to recruit uh, passengers, I don't know, inhabitants, uh, homesteaders, seasteaders to the cause. And didn't have a massive amount of success because to a lot of people who, who were fairly well off and were used to living in their mansions in various parts of the world, getting holed up in a tiny cabin where you couldn't make your own food and had to kind of be at the whim of someone else's catering didn't seem that appealing. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that this, this, the, the dream of a luxury yacht doesn't really match the reality. And, and I think that's what's often put me off. I've never really understood the appeal of them. I like sea and I like boats, but staying on one for a long time in a tiny cabin, no thanks. And and then they had to sell the boat. Basically, it got sold back kind of into the traditional industry again. But all throughout this, the the person behind it, and I'll get their name, Romant, Romant, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, was so ridiculously positive the whole time. And, and I think the amount of money they, that he was spending on this whole thing and losing and then just not seeming to care which was also quite incredible. It makes you wonder how much he actually has. But yeah, how the other half lives, uh, the the sad cr- clashing and crashing of reality with idealists. And sometimes I think sometimes I'm always disappointed that it turns out this way. Like I don't always agree with the motivations of why people do these things. But sometimes you kind of wish it was possible because it sounds sort of so wonderful. <laughs> and the skeptic in you, the realist in you knows oh, that ain't going to work. But you kind of wish it could sometimes. But yeah, would you stay on a luxury cruise ship with a bunch of libertarian cryptocurrency people? Okay, I biased that uh, that question but uh, or, or any other groups of people. Let me know. Uh, reach out to me, christianchiller.com uh, or at christchinch on Twitter. Next is an article from Wired UK from Sean Williams about a growing trend that is especially local to me here in Berlin of these fast grocery delivery uh, companies. We have here Gorillas, Getir and Flink, all of who basically have a fleet of cyclists who promise to get you groceries within 10 minutes. Uh, Grillers, which is sort of the prototype one, although there are kind of equivalent companies in other countries. Never be said that. Never let it be said that uh, German startups don't like copying other people's ideas. That's largely what they do. <clears throat> um, started actually around the corner from where I live, so we were one of the first people to experience it last year. And I find it quite convenient most of the time that uh, aspect of sometimes. Yes, it is quicker than you going, and I think that is the gorilla's slogan, quicker than you or faster than you, something like that. Um, 
and sometimes adding up that couple of euros delivery fee versus the time it was spent for you going out, maybe finding what you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, it has got to certain times where when I've just needed something small, I haven't really bothered because then sometimes the delivery fee plus tip, I kind of want to tip people, starts to outweigh the almost equal the cost of what it is you want. Um, so it sort of put me off more and more and actually to the point where I'm getting uh, lots of notifications of vouchers from these services. Come back, Chris. Come back, Chris. But the thing that uh, interests me in this article is a bit more around, uh, well, let's let's dig into what's been happening here. So we have these three services. Gorillas has been getting a lot of attraction, but usually negative attraction. There's been a lot of uh, rumours and discussions and evidence and, and all sorts of things around worker uh, bad environment, uh, bad COVID uh, precautions, bad working conditions, all sorts of things, um, to a point where they've been investigated by the, the Senate here. They've had uh, unionization and a whole bunch of other things. And I find this kind of interesting in many ways because I've always wondered why the other two don't seem to attract any attention. And the other aspect of Grillers, which was much lauded when they started, was they are not a gig economy company. They actually employ the workers and give them other benefits in, in addition to the legal minimums. So why do you never hear about the other two here? And the other interesting thing is I walk past three of their warehouses quite regularly and I always walk, walk past workers who seem to be very happy and enjoying themselves. Um, so it's I sometimes wonder with a lot of these stories, like, is it just because you're targeting the, excuse the pun, thousand-pound gorilla in the room? Uh, you know, the bigger you are, the bigger the target you are. Although actually, and looking into this article, it's argued that Flink is now, uh, has more funding and is possibly doing better. Um, I sort of feel bizarrely loyal to gorillas all the time, maybe because it's the local success story. It also feels sort of more international than Flink. Flink feels more German. I don't really know why I think that, especially as both of them are founded by um, German founders, so they're both equal in that way. So I don't know why I have that loyalty. I feel like gorillas has a better selection. Anyway, I digress. And this aspect of yeah, why whenever there's bad uh, press about a certain startup why do the their rivals not get it i don't know <laughs> i'm not wanting to start conspiracy theories but just this yeah why is it that others kind of almost get a uh a, a what's that what's the word a uh carte blanche or a pass a i can't think of the right word but a, a free pass that's the word uh and yeah are they any better or worse um and then you also cast and I away from like the traditional delivery services, uh, even ignoring, say, the more recent wave of food delivery, even companies like DHL and DPD and package deliveries, or even people working for the post office. Are they really any better? And I worry sometimes that these big new targets suck all the air out of the room. And let's face it, Gorillas is actually increasingly, for a company that's existed for a year or less, they are expanding and doing very, very well. And this is possibly why they're drawing attention, but... You know, it draws attention away from maybe other companies that also deserve a critical eye. And that sometimes concerns me, I must admit. Um, yeah, and why 
it's, it's that old Uber versus Lyft. I mean, it's a little different because Uber is is international and Lyft is in very, very few places. So that explains a lot there. But um, or say, for example, here, Uber versus Freenow. Freenow is a local taxi company uh, that operates mostly in a similar way. They have varying levels of business. Why do they not get as much negative attention? Um, yeah. Why does one startup over another get the attention it does or doesn't deserve over another? Yeah, got me thinking, and I don't really have an answer to it. <laughs> Apart from it is industrial sabotage, which, I don't know, that's unprovable. So what are your thoughts? Do let me know. And another article here, this is from the MIT Technology Review. From Noah Sheldon is unfortunately behind a paywall, but I think I read it on a relator type service, but I do actually have a subscription to the magazine as well. So I don't know. Anyway, your mileage may vary about China experimenting with AI in education. And I actually highlighted a particular paragraph here. Just excuse me whilst I go away and find that. So this was looking back at, uh, they still have some teachers to kind of supervise and answer questions where the AI can't intervene. And the quote was, on screen, the teacher looks increasingly crestfallen and humiliated. He looks so sad, I say. You noticed, Lee laughs. And I think this connects a little bit to what I was talking about last week with the codex and writing code and people always saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, humans are more creative. There'll always be a place for us. And then you slowly and kind of concerningly start to realize that maybe a lot of what humans do that we think is creative isn't as creative as we like to think it is. And does the same apply to teaching in this case? Sure, there are those teachers who are inspirational and very different in the way they do things. But are they like that all the time? Are all teachers like that? No, there's a lot who just sort of go through the motions, kind of close to rote learning, just plowing through a curriculum. And in those sorts of cases, is replacing them with an AI necessarily so hard? Especially in a country like China where I imagine, and I get this impression from this article too, that a lot of learning is possibly quite mm, formula, not formulaic, but you know, follows a pattern, follows a prescribed path a lot of the time anyway. So translating that to an AI is relatively straightforward in comparison to maybe more kind of liberal education where it's more about exploring and things like that. I'm con- conjecturing and theorizing here, but that's how I feel. And how do we feel about this? It's interesting as well because in some cases they get better results because the students feel less pressure to to perform in front of uh, big groups. They can pace at a much better pace. Um, I wonder if they lose some of those interaction skills. That starts to bother me. But again, I wonder how overrated some of those may be in the modern era. And how especially in countries like China where we see in other news that they want to get people away from screens and socializing more. Is is it already in a place where that's kind of past the point of no return? I don't know. And then is is having an AI teach people going to help with that? Wow. It's it's quite crazy to think. Um, 
And yeah, it feels like another one of those stories where AI is already advanced on so many more topics than we think. And I think me are comfortable with. And it really does come down to one administration, one kind of government over another, letting these things go through. And in some countries, it'll probably never happen. Or it will happen in a very long way away. But in other countries where they're more okay with just kind of pushing forward in progress and productivity, it's already starting to happen. And what will that mean in the long run? And there's a wonderful book, which I've mentioned a few times on the show, the Make It So book, um, which I want to reread actually, because it's relatively old now, about the inspiration of science fiction or reality and vice versa, and how we often see in science fiction this aspect of machines teaching students. And in often cases, it looks very utopian. And now we see the reality of it and people are kind of reluctant about it. And it sort of it makes you think, well, in, in all this fiction, it was something that people kind of wanted and now we have it and you don't want it. So, <laughs> yeah, reality is not always what you want it to be. Anyway, would you like your children or your theoretical children to be taught by an artificial intelligence, do let me know. And finally, one over on open culture from a couple of months ago, but it's taken me a while to get around to mentioning it for some strange reason and reading it. Umberto Eco, that legend of Italian literature, whose English translations can vary a little, shall we say, his 36 rules for writing. In English or Italian, I will pick out a few highlights. Bearing in mind, he's generally a nonfiction writer. And much like Stephen King, who has one of my favorite books on writing, doesn't always follow his own rules himself. Avoid alliterations. They're mana for morons. I quite like that. I don't know. I quite like them sometimes. Avoid cliches. Yeah, I think Stephen King says the same thing. Never generalize. That's true, but vague as a, as a piece of advice. Hold those quotes. I agree with this one. I find this especially in a lot of uh, technical marketing posts I've been doing recently. A lot of people always want quotes, and I've never really understood why, if they bring nothing to the piece. Uh, I feel like it's a marketing ploy, but I, I don't like them. <laughs> I'm, I like to think of myself as the expert. Why do I need to bring in others? Maybe that sounded arrogant. I don't know. Maybe I should walk away from that. Don't write one-word sentences. That seems reasonable, I think. Recognize the difference between the semicolon and the colon. Yes. In fact, I would argue colons, semicolons are completely overused. You often do not need them. Yes, feel free to argue with me. Semicolon. Be concise. Try to explain with the least amount of words. Yes, yes, yes. Thrice yes. This is another one I have found a lot of marketing copy because you want to fill the page with as many words as possible. And please do not charge by the word. Do not bill by the word. Um, the amount of words is not important. The quality of the word is important. Anyone who is charging by the word, I would rather not. <laughs> I do have one person I work with who does. And yes, I do find that sometimes it results in very verbose copy that is unneeded. Um, yeah. And feel confident enough to say, well, here is what I charge. And the word count will be roughly this. But the words will be great. 
words. And then this is an interesting one. Don't be empathetic. Interesting. Be careful with exclamation marks. And it's interesting because German does this a lot. English, largely when you have exclamation marks, it really has to mean something or it feels over the top. So I don't know about Italian. <laughs> but yeah, you can find more in there. Some are more interesting than others and more valued than others and depend on your writing. But yeah, take a look. Let me know your thoughts. What have I been up to? Right. What have I been up to? So this week I did a hands-on video on DocuSaurus, quite a nice static site generator, which I am thinking of maybe switching ChristianShiller.com to. I didn't do a solo adventure last week. I pushed it to this week, so that will come out probably the day after this podcast is released, actually. Um, San Sibilla, a solo journaling adventure. I'll be promoting that and putting up the links to it very soon. So watch out on the YouTubes and the Twitches and all those other places where you can find my work. My blog post on my audio and video setup is still up there. I need to spread it out to a few other blogs, which I'll be doing in the next couple of days. I have another one. I also decided to push back my Raspberry Pi post, mostly because I hadn't really promoted the other post enough yet. So I give it a bit of space, I suppose. I'm working through my series of gaming and RPG tools. Every time I ask people for more, I get more. So I might have to break the blog post out. It's getting very long, but it will come eventually. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think. I don't think there's been much else the past week. The past week has been pretty busy with work and all sorts of other things. Um, I don't think I have too much to report on, unfortunately. <laughs> maybe soon. Always maybe soon. But, uh, yeah, please, if you enjoyed what you found, please leave a review. Please leave a rating wherever you may be listening. Please share amongst your friends. Please say hi. It's always just nice to hear from people. Leave a comment. I did get some comments last week, especially around the title of the episode and the newsletter. So always nice to hear from you there. And yeah, until next time, thank you very much for joining me. I've been Christian Chiller. You can find more about me at christianchiller.com. Until next week, take care.